Hello, everybody. I am so excited to announce that Startup CPG now has an official Amazon agency partner we think is the best fit for emerging brands. They're called Daybreak Agency. They're led by Leon Lewis, who has years of experience growing CPG brands. Based on recommendations from the community, I personally actually worked with Leon and the Daybreak team for my previous beverage brand, and I was super thrilled with the results. He is absolutely a great fit for brands in the community. In my view, his team is the most affordable and most effective option out there. They will fix up your listing and get you set up with the right creative. And they have a much more reasonable retainer structure than most agencies I've come across. I've seen crazy retainers like 5000 a month and that stuff that's just really not affordable for emerging brands. But his retainer is super affordable and he does incredible work. He will manage your operations, advertising, deal with the most challenging aspects of getting you set up on Amazon. And he actually also does other channels like Instacart and Critio. Their team has years of experience across all of CPG, and I'm super confident that you're going to love working with them. If you want to reach out to him, you can message him on the Startup CPG Slack, Leon Lewis, Daybreak Growth, or email him at leon at daybreak.agency. Make sure you mention Startup CPG to get $600 of free design credits. I would much rather engage with brands who want to know more about me than just want to sell me. Because I'm going to sell you as hard as you're going to sell me. That's the other thing. It's like, I being on the other side of the desk is, is I know it's important for you as a CPG brand to feel confident that you want to be in my stores. I'm going to help you get to your success state. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Scharf. You are going to love today's episode with our guest, Dwight Richmond from Town & Country Markets. Dwight has one of the most impressive buyer backgrounds you will ever hear, and he is extremely open and generous with his tips for brands looking to get on his radar. Listen in and hear how he thinks about his category sets, a great overview of his store, how you can contact his team and submit an effective pitch, and how you can do well on shelf. Also hear his tips for how to get his and other buyers' attention at trade shows like the upcoming Expo West. This really was one of my favorite interviews, and I know you're going to love it. Enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Startup CPG Podcast. Today, we are thrilled to have Mr. Dwight K. Richmond, who is a seasoned expert in the grocery sector with over 30 years of experience spanning roles from retail management to senior category management. Dwight brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. He has worked at Whole Foods Market, Dean and DeLuca, Kahi, Earth Fair, CA Fortune, The Fresh Market, and now is the director of Center Store at Town & Country Markets. So get a snack, tune in. We're about to explore the intersection of entrepreneurship and consumer goods with our guest. Dwight, thank you so much for joining us. And it was great to see you this week, actually, at the Fancy Foods Las Vegas show. How did you enjoy the show? Yeah, no, it's great to see you too, Daniel. Thank you for having me on and thank you all for listening today. It was a good show. I always like Fancy Food Winter Show a lot because it's kind of the beginning of the year. Everybody's sort of relaxed. The pressure of the holidays are past and vacation, worried about your vacation and the weather's kind of past and everybody kind of comes together as a family and we kind of celebrate the beginning of the year. And so I've always found this show to be really kind of delightful and just a great way to network and get a deeper connection with the vendor community. I like how you describe it. It did feel very relaxed to me. It's not sort of the craziness of Expo. 
That's my second time at the show. And it really was interesting to me to see just actually there were so many buyers there, like very high quality buyers for me, having run a West Coast brand, there were a lot of the people that I would want to see. And if you looked at it per capita, it was even more impressive comparing to the audience and the number of brands there. It's like, well, this thing is actually pretty stacked. See any sections or brands that you thought were particularly interesting? You know, I'm going through all my notes now. I really enjoyed, I think this year more than ever, I think SFA has really dialed in the incubator and entrepreneurial like section for first time exhibitors and, and some of the incubator brand co-ops that they have there really good quality brands in that area. A lot of them are very ready to go to retail. So I think that's a credit to kind of the incubation programs at a lot of universities and a lot of programs. That's also, I think it's credit to the entrepreneurs who are really starting to pay attention and understand that what they need to do to survive and thrive in CPG. They're learning quickly and adapting quickly. And the other thing is that they're very hungry and they're eager to learn from buyers like myself and others on what they can do to, to improve. You know, trend-wise, we saw a ton of yuzu, not surprising because of Japan being one of the big sponsors countries of this show. Saw a lot of bubble tea, uh, which was interesting because I feel like that trend's sort of passing us by, but that's okay. Sometimes that happens in shows. As you know, we've walked a lot of expos over the years and you're kind of scratching your head saying, why is there so much of this around? Quietly, I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed it too, kind of the couple steps backwards on all things plant-based. And a couple steps forward on kind of rebalancing everything as far as like meat versus plant-based, which is the way I think it should be. I think it should be a balanced approach to what we see at the show. So overall, it was a good show. I really liked kind of the mix of products that we saw there. It's super interesting to hear you talk about it because I just wouldn't perceive it the same way that you do. But I definitely noticed those incubator sections. I thought the included section for me was just the most interesting part of the show. And yeah, I like how you say it. Those brands really are very well prepared. A lot of those brands are part of our community. I know them. They're super savvy founders. Um, you had Miles Comfort Food, Foods in there. Just a great entrepreneur. We had him on the podcast a little bit ago. The Sobo team, the Dumplings. And I mean, they're very experienced as well. And they're kind of stacked with founder experience and product development experience as well. So they're coming correct to market. <laughs> the Toto Verde team. The Funky Mellow team, we just love all these guys. And it was great to see them shine. And they, uh, there was a ton of excitement around that section. And I was really excited to meet with the SFA team there also at the show and figure out how we can get in the mix with our community and brands for the future shows to help them right. amplify that. So that's, that's great to hear from you. So Dwight, I mentioned your background, which is like hard to even fathom. Man, you've been everywhere, like kind of dream list of the natural channel and specialty retailers. Just what's that been like? Can you just, you know, maybe tell us a little bit more about your career journey and what it's like to have been at some of these different places and how that's contributed to how you think about this whole world of CPG and grocery? Sure. I mean, I'd be honestly, I pinch myself because I've been blessed, right? Like you think about a guy from the Midwest going to the places that I've been and meeting the people that I've met, it just kind of surprises me even still to this day, all the things that, uh, I've been able to watch and observe and be part of over the years. So it started for me as I'm actually a third generation grocer, skipped a generation. My great grandfather actually owned a grocery store. And I came to kind of learn that over time that in a bit of despair and career chaos, and my grandmother reminded me of that and said that it was a very honorable and noble profession to feed people and give them a quality of life of good food and being better for themselves and their family. But also she told me this little story about my grandfather saving a black walnut farm in the area that he lived in. And 
that kind of started catapulting me on this idea of the true meaning of what win-win partnership means. I kind of thought about it even before, you know, I know it's a kind of a, a core value, Whole Foods and other places that I've worked in, but really I have the article from the 1940s still where he, where it talks about how he personally invested in this little community that he lived in to save this black walnut industry there and bring it to Kansas City and sell it in the grocery stores and stuff like that. It just really touched my soul, literally, and kind of the North Star for what I do and guides me in all of what I do is to really honor his legacy because he was a really great man. So that kind of pushed me full steam ahead into this wonderful world of CPG and grocery and whatnot. And I kind of figured out that the best way to get into it and learn it is just to get into it and learn it the hard way, right? And understand the supply chain. Because I knew pretty early on that I didn't want to be in operations. I didn't want to be a store manager, but I really, really enjoyed tinkering and building sets and working with vendors and having those aha moments about when we discovered an idea of a great product. And even that was happening in the stores because I was really blessed that Whole Foods really gave us a lot of autonomy early on in those days to kind of be our own owners of our shops, right? And kind of the bug bit me at that point and I really went after it. And I really felt the best way to be the best at what I do was to really understand every side of the supply chain. And so I took a dive into learning supply chain and distribution and brokerage and working with brands and consulting with brands in, in different areas. And I feel that that sort of gives me a balance to be understanding on all sides of the equation when it comes to working with brands and retailers. So that's kind of a sum up of, of where I come from. And just, you know, for me as somebody, I've moved around a ton. Like I've never lived anywhere for more than a couple of years. I've always just been so interested in the opportunity and just for better or worse, I've not been tied anywhere and been able to, to move around a little bit. What's that been like for you? Because you've been moving around a bunch also. Is it exciting for you? Are you just really just focused on that great opportunities? Yeah. I mean, I really tried to focus on where I wanted to go with my career long-term, right? And so I knew that that needed to make me more nimble and mobile and moving around, right? So I have always been open to the exploration of what is next and always asking the question of why. And I think, you know, as we talk about products and stuff, you'll find that that's kind of what I do. I don't assume that I know everything about anything. So asking the questions why and exploring the opportunities has really always been key to, to me and and not pinning myself down to saying, I will be unmovable in this area, except for core values when it comes to sourcing and quality. I don't move on that. But when it comes to being like, do I live in Seattle or do I live in Charlottesville, Virginia or Austin, Texas? I love all of them. I enjoy going back and visiting all these places that I've lived in and sharing memories with friends and eating great food in these cities. And it's just been a great journey. That's amazing. I mean, it just the track record that you have is really incredible. I mean, to have been at, you know, Whole Foods, Earth Fair, Fresh Market, I mean, and now Town and Country, what a lineup. So Dwight, you mentioned how you think about a set. Like, you know, what is the perfect set for you? What does it look like for your whole store? Like, do, how do you think about for a center store, the size of the different sets and then drilling into a specific set? What are the key things you want to accomplish? Sure. I mean, you know, the one thing... Every buyer will tell any CPG brand is it's just only a finite amount of space. There's you know, and it, and it doesn't grow. We have the space we have, and we have to make the best of it, right? So it's a bit of process of science. It's a bit of process of your gut. It's a bit of following trends and understanding where the consumer is going. I think the biggest challenge is I'm watching kind of what the beverage you're drinking is. Sometimes we have to just be aware that. Things change and we have to adapt our categories and our sets to them. Like, you know, I'm looking at like Poppy and some of these probiotic better for you sodas that that set did not technically exist two years ago. Right. And so 
as a category merchant and steward, you have to be aware that something's got to shift and something's got to change. So you got to go look at the categories and say, okay, well, what's in decline or what is the consumer saying they're not interested in as much because I've got to create this new set that they are interested in and make it make sense, make it legitimate to the shopping experience. Because you just that product can't just exist with kombucha and it can't just exist with Coke and Pepsi, right? Because there's enough brands and enough energy around it consumer-wise that you need to give it the proper respect that it deserves. So when we're looking at sets, you kind of look at things that way. I look at it from a couple different points of view. Most importantly, I look at the brand, which is the store. The store brand is really important to the essence of what you want to focus in on and what how you want to build sets out, right? So when I understand that and when I understand what we would kind of call an incomparable category or destination category, we kind of know then the foundation of what we're trying to accomplish to the consumer, the guest as they come in the door and how we message to them. And so then the sets are a reflection of that uh, element. So if, you know, for example, we live up in the Pacific Northwest and it's rainy almost every day of our lives here. Tea and coffee should be one of those things that when you think of town and country, you think of tea and coffee, right? So we would proportionally give them a little bit more space, look at the uh, set adjustments, make sure we're covering off all the local bases, make sure we're covering up the national leading brands, but then really hone in on innovation. And these are categories that people come to, to discover and learn uh, more about what they don't know when discover their next favorite item. So that's kind of some of the ways I look at set building. And so you mentioned earlier about the fancy food show, maybe kind of a back to reasonableness of the plant-based stuff from, you know, what I would say was a huge, probably fad at the past few expos, just plant-based everything, alternatives. It's always interesting at expo, right? Because you always like can remember what was the fad that year and, you know, it was like, maybe it was mushrooms or it was CBD a few years before and so it's funny to think about like, do we know it's a fad or do we think it's a trend, right? Like it's like something that might be flash in the pan or, I mean, I don't know. I think I was at least convinced like, no, no, plant-based is not the fad. It's the trend and it's going to be just kind of the way plant forward and anything because it was underlying so many of the other fads that he might right. see just about plants and kind of more, yeah, just I guess away from like meat and things that, you know, are worse for your heart and all that. But I guess bringing that back to your set, are there times where... You've made a decision about your set, whether it's at Town & Country or any of the other places that you worked where you were like, we nailed it. We saw that trend coming and made the appropriate space in the set for it. And then we crushed it because that's what our shoppers were looking for. And then conversely, is there a time where maybe you were working somewhere that's not quite as nimble as Town & Country and you felt like, okay, yeah, in hindsight, we could have moved on that one faster. And then we had to wait until, you know, the next reset to get some of those products in there. Yeah. So I would say one of the big ones would have been cold pressed juice back around 2013, 14. I think Whole Foods, we nailed it. We got in there really early on. It was a challenge by leadership to, for us to figure out the juice category and dug into it. And, you know, the beauty of especially like Whole Foods was that we had national data and we had all these little seeds of great CPGs like Suja Juice and Blueprint Juice and Evolution Fresh Juice and Genesis Juice. They were all just really small companies in that era, right? And so we were looking at that and we were thinking all the juices together were like, why are people not drinking Odwalla and Naked anymore? Well, it's because they're full of sugar. They're not really juices. They're sugar beverages now. When you looked at them on kind of the fundamental basis of what are they trying to accomplish, right? And so we found these things called cold-pressed juices and we're like, these things are phenomenal. They're refreshing. They're not really... in. 
You don't have to take big gulps of water to cleanse your palate. Super nutritious, generally lower in sugar, right? And whatnot, and hold a lot of their nutritional density because at that time it was a new technology for most people called HPP. And so I think we nailed it. And to your point, when we nailed it, the next expo, cold-pressed juice was everywhere. You know, everybody had a cold-pressed juice, right? And Yeah, I love it. I love cold-pressed juice. I have yeah. a big thing of Evolution Fresh in my fridge. I grew up with Tropicana, and my parents still have that. And I'm like, guys, you don't know. There's, like, really good stuff out there. Yeah, yeah amazing. Just, I don't know, kind of crazy sugar stuff that a lot of us grew up drinking and still a lot of people don't know. And I mean, it's expensive, obviously, for the cold pressed juice. But I mean, for me, I really enjoy it. I had um, Jeff Church, the founder of Suja Juice on the podcast a little bit ago. So we were talking about that. And he told a similar kind of story about the growth of it and you know the importance of Whole Foods. But the part of it that's really interesting for me to hear from your perspective is picking up that trend and deciding to go all in on it. So it sounds like you did that by looking at the sales trend of a couple products like the Atwala and just figuring out like what's the commonality, they're really high sugar, and then figuring out like, you know, where people might be moving to and what categories could capture those and help consumers more. Or how exactly did that happen? Yeah. I mean, Jeff and I have known each other for a really long time. He's a great guy. And I remember when I discovered Suja because it was really late at night and I was pouring over data and I came across this, this anomaly in the Southern Pacific regional foods. And so I was texting her, I maybe even called them and I said, what is this thing called Suja? oh, this is the best thing ever, right? And I'm like, I got to figure out what this is because their growth rate was phenomenal. It was totally off the charts. And sometimes that's misleading. You got to really be discerning on that. I just had one of my buyers yesterday. It was like seeing 16,000% growth on something. I'm like, nothing of nothing is something, right? So we got to be careful about that. And what I was looking at was the unit trends and the velocities of that item. And I was like, because the dollars were high because it's a higher expensive, more expensive item. But I saw this dollars continuing to rise or the units continuing to rise. I'm like, there's something really to this. And so I got more information, reached out to Jeff and team. And that's where we started to make the connection of that and really kind of understand that, well, there's this, these Suja in, in the West Coast, there's these guys called Blueprint in the West, in the East Coast. And there's a couple others in between, right? Evolution Fresh was coming online. And there was a great little brand up here in the Pacific Northwest called Genesis, which I kind of forgot about. And they were one of the OGs of cold pressed juice and HPP juice. And I was already selling them before I moved to Austin. And I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot all about them. But that was really the key was just kind of understanding you know, when for good buying and good CPG entrepreneurialism, it's really listening to what the consumers are trying to tell you because they, they sometimes don't know how to verbalize it, but they definitely verbalize it with their wallets and how they're shifting their patterns, right? You know, you're talking about plant-based. I don't think plant-based is dead as a trend. I just think plant-based has leveled off to its reality. And now it's actually going to grow sustainably. I've said for a long time, plant-based was not growing sustainably. And I also have a deep fear and concern that the consumers were going to kind of begin to push back on plant-based once they realized kind of the scientific concoctions that were being put out there as plant-based, which were really more food-based nutrition, you know, as much as they were trying to say, well, we're not animal-based food, right? Like, so, because I've seen that trend really basically in my whole entire career of natural foods was people who are really into this industry of healthy eating and better living for themselves really just want pure, transparent ingredients, know where they're coming from, and they want as minimal amount of processing as possible to deliver the best possible flavor. And that is an almost near impossible task for a lot of your CPG friends here, but that is really what consumers ask for. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I was pretty interested in some of the plant-based stuff early on, Impossible Beyond, kind of blown away by it. 
And then I think just me personally over time, I was like, well, I don't know if this feels like the thing I should be eating. But it did get me to then start looking towards things like Dr. Prager's and, you know, things that to, to me felt like more simple ingredients that weren't necessarily trying to be a burger, but did taste pretty good. And, you know, right. you throw a little cheese on there, you got yourself a pretty good little sandwich. So, yeah. Pretty, yeah. I mean, I think huge impact no matter what happens of just helping people, I think, think more about what they're eating, which probably as a society we can all use, including myself. It's really interesting to hear. And then, yeah, conversely, is there any trend you feel like, oh, I was a little late to that one. You know, I wish I had gone all in on it early on as soon as we saw the early signs. There is one sort of coming top of mind. Missed that one moment. I would say I don't feel like I really drove CBD as quickly as I could. And I kind of missed the bubble on that one. And obviously the bubble has already passed on that one. And I think I got in a little late on that one. And I think COVID sort of messed that one up a little bit too, because it kind of came right at the same time. And it was really more just trying to understand it and understand the rules and the regulations around it, you know, and and I also feel a little like, I don't know that I've missed it, but I'm still a little confused by the whole era of the mushroom trends. I just don't know. If, I don't know if I'm missing it or the consumers are missing it. So I've been trying to figure that one out. So yeah, me too. The perception of mushrooms is super healthy, but I think I'm still figuring out like, okay, but how do people actually want to eat them and what products do they want to see them in kind of stuff. So I guess probably time will tell and the data and the wallet, as you say. Yeah. So, and when you look at your set right now, what are some products that you're super interested to see out there? You know, when you're going to the trade shows, any big holes in the set or opportunities or types of products you're looking for right now? We usually, snacks and beverages are always a churn, right? And trying to stay ahead of the wave of the consumer trend, just to see the brands, what they're coming out with, something I'm looking at. So I'm never not in the space of inquiry about that. I think that's really a good pause point to just say, when you're looking at categories and sets, never underestimate any of them, really, and always be in a state of inquiry that you don't know what you don't know, right? So when you go into shows, I really, I'll have a mild shopping list, but I also go to just discover to what I didn't, what I wasn't expecting, what I didn't know. I obviously will take a pass through my data. We, we partner with Spins here, so I can kind of get a good look at what's up, what's down, what's all around. I got my own internal data that I look at. And we will be right back. Hey, listeners, are you working on your email and SMS marketing strategy and not getting the results you're looking for? Or do you wish you had a little more time and a lot more resources? Don't worry, Strategy Maven has your back. Building a successful strategy is no easy task, but their mavens or experts will help you establish an email and SMS marketing program that will attract, engage, and retain customers to help grow your brand. SMA is a perfect partner for you if you're not getting the results you're looking for, or your overall email attributed revenue is less than 30%, or you have way too much on your plate and not enough resources, or you started with another agency or freelancer and they dropped the ball. Strategy Maven Agency treats your brand as if it was their own. They provide the expertise and support your business needs to scale and thrive. Visit strategymavenagency.com to get started with a free consultation and don't forget to mention Startup CPG. And now back to the show. What is the data that you see? Is it just for town country? Is it the total channel for like natural channel? Is it total yep. grocery? What are you most interested to see? I generally will look at town and country. I call it the mirror and the lens. So I look in the mirror first 
that's me looking at town and country. And then I say, I got some dirt here and here and here and I need to clean it up. Or, hey, you know, I look pretty good there. And then the lens is where I really say, okay, now I need to look at what others are doing around me. So maybe looking at the, my region as a whole, but then also where is the innovation come from? And that usually comes from the coast. So I usually look at the coasts. So the rest of the West Coast and the East Coast in certain categories, especially. So, you know, like in the East Coast, I really look at certain pantry categories a lot more because I think they're more innovative and, and they tend to be heavier consumers of certain categories. Whereas on the West Coast, that's where the innovation of snacks and beverages come from. Like think about some of the where things are birthed from. Cold, when we we're just talking about cold pressed juice or some of the raw trends and keto trends of the past. They're really birthed on the West Coast and some progressive retailers that come out of that area. So anything from the Midwest, Midwest is more of a validating region for me than anything else. Yes, from California to the world. It's super interesting to live here and see just the emergence of a bunch of trends. And actually at Expo West this year, I'm doing a panel called Tastemakers, the SoCal retailers. So we'll have a bunch of them on there and just a little bit more of trying to understand how are they sourcing some of those trends and putting a lot of fuel on the fire for them as well. So and on that data front a little bit more. So for me as a brand, if I'm talking to you about my product, I might say something like, hey, do you know that your store under indexes on this particular category, you know, trying to imply like maybe you need some more SKUs in here so that you can capture the growth that the rest of the market is seeing. Is that the kind of stuff that you're looking at? Are you look so, you know, in the mirror that you described, are you looking at, you know, just kind of sales trends per category up and down and velocity, you know, how certain categories compare to others in your store? You know, what specific data points do you look at for yourself and then through the lens? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking kind of at customer traffic, unit traffic. So some categories are better in dollars than they are in units, but yet units really pay the bills and justify the shelf space. Whereas dollars kind of, depending on the gross profit and whatnot you're working on, they are relevant or they are irrelevant, really. So a good example of that is like, I think a lot of us chased the trend of high priced ice creams back in the day. So the $9 and higher ice cream pints, because we saw the dollars of them. And but when you looked at the units, the space to sales ratios were just all wrong. You know, you weren't actually driving the category forward by trying to just pump dollars into it because there weren't enough units to support and sustain that trend. So you had to really kind of adjust. And so I do look at that a lot. What is a trend? What is a fad? And then what is actually, where is the real growth? Where's the consumer going? I mean, because you get into macro level, you have to look at the economy too. But you also have to look at kind of what is the elasticity from your guest point of view of, of the retailer that you're in to understand what they will or won't buy. You know, I can't, for example, we'll say, I've spent a lot of time in coffee and tea, um, and I've spent a lot of time in pasta and pasta sauce lately. I've come to realize, okay, that the average consumer in Seattle says, I won't pay over $15.99 for coffee. Just won't do it, right? And Because you see this huge drop in the units at that point. And so we kind of know where the sweet spot is. And so when I'm talking to brands, I'm kind of like, okay, you can bring me a really expensive brand and I will listen to you, but I'm going to tell you up front, probably not going to sell really well. And here's the reasons why. That said, I'd love to be told I'm wrong. First to say, I'd love to be told, I told you so, that I am the best thing out there. And so I usually will say, well, that's just depends on how well you want to drive it, right? How aggressive you want to be in market and how much you want to follow the programs that we can offer to help you get your name out there. So, All right. Yeah, super helpful. Thank you. And so moving a bit more just to focus on town and country, can you give everybody a little bit of an overview of town and country as a grocer, you know, like location, number of stores, consumer ethos, those kind of things. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you. So Town & Country Market's a family-run business over 65 years, a six-store chain in Seattle. Again, one of the last in truly independently owned family businesses out there. We have four stores actually in the Seattle area and two on what we call the Kitsap Peninsula side. 
varied sizes and formats, three very large stores, three smaller stores. We also, because we are an Asian-American-owned company, we have definitely a, a, a more of a slant and we have stores within stores on Asian foods within three of our markets. And there's a fairly heavy presence of them within our other markets as well. So we do want to make our Asian-American consumers in this area and our guests in this area feel welcome and be able to find the items that they're looking for on their daily need basis. So index profile, I'd say we air that away. I think, you know, our consumer is kind of similar to what you might find at a, at a central market in Texas or, you know, in Irwan and down in your area in California, right? They're a little bit more affluent. They're a little more educated. They want to have a sense of discovery when they come to our stores. But then on the other side, you know, there's an ampersand in our name for a reason. And that is, is that we do offer, we do all also want to offer everyone the chance to come in and do a complete shop and find the value that they're looking for as they're shopping. So it's really important to us to be inclusive of all of our community in all ways. Yes, I don't often see a full basket shop at Air One here in, in yep. Venice near where I live. I hosted a Shabbat dinner not that long ago, and we had some generous funding for it. And so we had it catered from Air One. We thought it'd be cool to try it, and it would get people really excited. And my friend who went to pick up the order, just huge boxes of Air One catering, walking out, I was like, did people just look at you like, who is this guy that can afford all of these boxes of Air One? This is like a prince of something. So pretty funny. But yeah, I, having demoed there a bunch of times, it's pretty interesting. It's sort of like museum gift shore shop sometime where like, you know, you stand there and you do the demo and you spend a lot of time talking to somebody. And then maybe if you convince them, they buy like one can of something and it goes with their deli sandwich, delicious, whatever. Whereas if I go demo at Central Market, I've sold 200 cans in a demo at Central yeah. Market and consumers are just like, what is this? Looks clean, tastes good. I'll take yeah. 10. That's a little more of our basket speed, too. So do you know Caroline from Pizza Girl? Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with her. So she came and did a demo, and she had that kind of experience, too, where they were grabbing three and four bottles at a time and just putting them in the cart. And it was kind of amazing. But that's the power connection. And, you know, for any CPG brand, you know, when you have a good retailer like myself or Central Market, where we'll set you up for success within demos, you do the demos best yourself, right? And you will find success when you do that, because you connect with, with the consumer because the consumers are just hungry. The guests want to make connection to the brands and the people that they're buying from. And you have them for life when you make that connection. And they're, the thing is, is they're the best evangelists for your brand outside of you. Because when they, they're like, I met the owner and talking about the brand. And so their friends and family are like, well, I got to go buy this brand now. And, you know, it grows from there. And so that's the beauty of the business we're in. I love demoing for all those reasons. And people can look into your eyes and see the passion that you have about the product and they really respond to it in a way where, I mean, you can get great demo people to help, but it's never going to be the same and they're never going to chase people down in the store the way that you would as uh, somebody who really embodies the brand. But yeah, I think it is special for people. I think it's cool too if I'm in there and I meet somebody from the brand or potentially even the founder. It's super mm -hmm. cool, creates a connection. And I've also met people in the stores who pick up a product and I would look at them and say, hey, like, that's cool. You chose that product. I know, you know, I'm friends with the founder. And they're like, yeah, I have a friend who knows the founder. So I really like to support the brand. I mean, it's, it can start that way. You know, you ever, we're all fighting one by one for fans of the brand who then help us spread our message. And so all of that stuff is fun and very important. So I love to hear you talk about it that way. So, you know, I think any brand would be really lucky to be in town and country. How do brands get on your radar if if it's not just you finding them at a trade show? So, I mean, pretty open door policy. I'm not shy on LinkedIn. I like to post and I like to communicate with brands. I'm not one of those guys who likes to have 
submit to the category box. And I tell my buying team, I don't like that either. I want them to be engaged with brands. I want them to, you know, as we're talking about like, you know, the demos and stuff, I want them to make connections with these people because over the years, I kind of learned both sides of this fence and understand that there's some people that are generationally passionate about their brand and they want to pass it down to their generations. There's some that are not as generationally passionate and they want to be success and they want to move on to their next venture. I think there's space in this universe for both. I wasn't in that belief system for uh, before and but now I kind of understand both sides of that equation right and so for me we do have we obviously work with our distributor partners and we work with our broker partners to do some sourcing for us and whatnot we use the, the trade shows I'll use stuff like range me quite a bit for sourcing and then it's really I spend an inordinate amount of time reading trades and consumer information right so the feeds from Nosh and BevNet and looking at the feeds from SFA and New Hope Media spend every day looking at those, just seeing where the little nuggets are that people might miss and just glance over. And like I said, and then sometimes it's just a matter of just cold call email and I see something there and I'm like, okay, well, let's have a conversation. So So brands could reach out to you on LinkedIn, theoretically, (laughs) or and any other of your team members that are good people for them to try to hit up on LinkedIn, depending on what their category is. Yes, sometimes. I don't know how many of my team are super active on LinkedIn, but usually they're always pretty responsive on their emails. So Perfect. And usually I'm happy to farm some off too if they need to be farmed off. So if I'm not going to be the expert or the decision maker, I'll I'll connect them with the tip person that is. So. All right. Amazing. So let's say one of these brands listening right now gets your attention on LinkedIn and now you're interested. You like the product. What's going to actually make you decide to take it on shelf? Is it they're already in the distribution center that you use or they're offering something on a promotional plan that you think is going to really be effective for consumers? What are the key things you're looking for when, when you're talking to them about their plan? So first off, I'm looking at the product, right? And I always tell brands, imagine yourself on my shelves. Do you make sense? First off, and I like be real, you know, that mirror and lens thing, be real, really realistic with it. Like if you look out of place, you're probably out of place. But if you see yourself on the shelf, then you know how to sell to me better because then you're starting to make a connection with me as a retailer. I will tell one of the little secrets for all you CPG brands out there. If you've never been in the retailer that you're trying to pitch to, it really pisses us off. So don't come and pitch me and don't know who I am. At least go to our website and look at us. You know, I mean, if you can't, I know people can't travel everywhere, but it really is. I mean, in all my stops or category managers and directors above me and below me, the one thing that we all always will get irritated about is, do you even know who we are and what we carry, right? So real important little nugget there for you to know. You'd be surprised. I mean, don't know it. (laughs) I was just thinking, I would love for us to create a repository of just videos from every retailer so people can actually see and feel what it's like to be in the stores. Because you're, yeah, there's no replacement from actually being in there, like looking at, you know, what kind of cars are in the parking lot, what kind of people are in the store, just what's in their basket, and what does the store look and feel like. All of those things are just super, super helpful and really hard to do in any way without actually walking in yourself. And like, how many sale tags are there? And, you know, how big is the assortment? And, you know, what kind of brands are they carrying? Well, you can accomplish some of that. If you have brokerage, you can accomplish some of that. Again, if you can't accomplish it, and I recognize some people just can't do it, that's fine. But the beauty of COVID and the beauty of technology is, is e-com is, is that we all have websites. We're all pretty open now and transparent. You can at least get a picture of our stores. You can see by looking at your category that you're pitching me to, you can kind of see the products that are in my category, right? Virtually. And honestly, ask me. If you don't know, ask me. And you know, I'm happy to say, okay, well, here's a picture of the set. 
right? I'm more than happy to do that. I would much rather engage with brands who want to know more about me than just want to sell me. Because I'm going to sell you as hard as you're going to sell me. That's the other thing. It's like I being on the other side of the desk is, is I know it's important for you as a CPG brand to feel confident that you want to be in my stores. I'm going to help you get to your success state that you want to be in, whatever that success state is, right? So I start with the product, right? I need to see the product. I need to taste the product. I need to look at the ingredients of the product. I will tell you, I one thing was kind of disturbing to me at Fancy Food was I saw some products there with substandard ingredients. They were there as specialty. And they didn't actually have specialty ingredients and they were taking shortcuts. And I, and I called them on that. I'm like, guys, if you're going to come to me and pitch to me and you say this is a great sauce and your first ingredient is ketchup, I have a problem with that. I have a real problem with that because I can make that here and slap my label on it and call it good, right? So it was said in love to encourage that brand to say, come on, you got to do better than that. Even if you break those ingredients down into their core components and decompose ketchup into its ingredients, do something, but don't put that as your first ingredient. Give me something better. So that's important too. And the attributes are important. If I'm looking at a at a tea or a coffee set and you're coming to me with just straight up conventional, unverified sourcing, blah, 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 I'm going to be probably pretty uh, disinterested in you as a brand. Like know the attributes that I'm more keen on. Like I'm looking for organic. I'm looking for fair trade. I'm looking maybe for a fair trade, but better quality first over organic. Certain categories, organic's not always the first order sort for me because it may not be the best quality. You know, we're looking now more at regenerative agriculture, you know, so like ROC certifications and stuff like that. So because I've been very big in the biodynamic industry for a number of years, I really love it. I think that's the way we were supposed to be eating in the first place. Awesome to hear. I just was lucky to go to the LA premiere for Common Ground. That's all about regenerative agriculture. I was blown away. I'm ashamed to admit I knew almost nothing about it. And after seeing it, I mean, just, yeah, very powerful. I really encourage everybody to check it out. Exactly. And I think, you know, regenerative agriculture is that happy spot for all of us between biodynamic, which some people are uncomfortable with for certain reasons, and organic, which others of us are uncomfortable with for other reasons. Really kind of comes into the middle and addresses both concerns. So I'm really happy that this trend, this attribute is really starting to grow and take off because I think people are really hungry for it. And at the end, it really addresses the true root of the problem, which is, is that we need to all think of ourselves as part of the organism of this planet and the farming system and everything else, the inputs and the outputs. So that's a big key for me. Again, how do you fit on the shelf? So if you're kind of checking the boxes of things I'm looking for, then we're going to start a dialogue and have a conversation about, are you in distribution or are you not in distribution? I'm okay either way, really, honestly. I'm blessed that I can open a DC with my volume and velocity because I have high volume. But I also take that as respect that, that I need to then deliver. So I need to pick products that are going to deliver that return for the distributor, right? So, you know, it's just really in meeting the vendors and the CPG brands where they are is really important to me. So what level of education support they need, if I'm really wanting to work with them, is really critical in that stage. And then also trying to educate them in their different stages of here's what we expect in trade promotions and what we need to grow your brand, right? Are you capable of investing in it? Well, here's my margin expectations of what I'm going to probably show on the shelf so you don't have any surprises. Here's what, and here's what we need to help you grow and thrive because we're a high-low retailer. We're not an everyday low-cost retailer. So we need those tags. And depending on the category, some of those products need to be more aggressive than others. Got it. So overall requirements then. So you want to see decent promo plan from a brand. Anything else or any other cool options that you have for brands that they should be looking at, like display options or anything else that they should know about? 
Yeah, I encourage brands to grow into the space. There's always opportunities for displays, and we have multiple tiers of them. And so a lot of times I'll launch a new brand on what's called a coordinated merchandising event, which is a smaller display, but it's coordinated in that it's a meal, it's usually a meal solution, or it's some sort of partnership marketing that we're trying to communicate to the guests of a theme that we're running in our stores, right? And so it doesn't cost them anything other than the cost of the promo. We don't charge for it really. So it's a great entry point for a new brand. It's also a place where I think our consumers, our guests want to discover something new, right? They're eager and hoping that they'll find the next great thing through those coordinated merchandising events. The other way, I mean, there's then there's just a straight up promo displays, right? And in caps and uh, side stacks and cross merch and other departments. We do that as well. And then obviously we have advertising programs, but you know, the other thing like we talked about is demos. Uh, we don't really charge for demos here. We, we want you to come in. We want to help you be successful, which I think is very unique as a retailer. Uh, and I think that's why we're one of the more successful retailers when it comes to demos. So I have learned over time is not a one size fits all solution for all re- for all brands, right? I have budgets that I have to fulfill, right? We have requirements, but I know they do too. And so it's really partnering together and understanding what will make us both successful. And that's part of that win-win that we need to do. I saw recently on LinkedIn a post from my friend Pierre Javet, who was recently on one of our episodes giving brands tips for how to crush Expo West. And he said, I think had a comment from you about how you had launched Fishwife in stores and that it had, quote unquote, really taken off in just yeah. the first couple of weeks. So what do you think makes something like that happen is, you know, what about the product brand can make a product take off like that? Well, so I had to give it a supporting cast, right? I couldn't, I met Becca in a year ago, almost a year ago, started talking to her and met her at Fancy Food. I knew a year ago that I needed to do something to my can 10 fish set, right? Or 10 meat set. I had too much of what I would call conventional, a little, little less attribute rich products. And I had kind of extremes of very attribute rich products, but very expensive. And there's a disconnect in the middle there for my guests. And we didn't, we didn't walk our talk that we talked in seafood in our 10 fish aisle. Right. So if I had brought fishwives in immediately at that point, it would not have worked right. So what I mean by that is I had to build a supporting cast for them. That said, I think we put in over 80 new items. We took out almost 80, right. To make the room for it. So we really took a time to clean that set up and give them, set them up for the best success because it's a gorgeous product. Uh, I know you've probably seen it. The art on it's phenomenal. The box is phenomenal. The product inside's great. It's a wonderful product. But to throw that out there, you know, next to a two ninety nine can of something that says it's tuna, you're going to fail immediately. So it was really about saying, okay, how do we subcategorize 10 meat and seafood? So how do we work on the the tuna category, the salmon category, the shellfish category, all these little subcategories, and how do we blend it out and create experience for the guests so that they can come up and discover fishwives? And we did that. And that's why I think they're successful because people come up, there's this wow factor of look at all these great new items. And then, oh, wow. And you know, we can evoke emotions of excitement with the way we merchandise, right? And then the CPG brands complement that excitement when the guest connects with them and says, what's this? Oh, this is great, right? They don't do that initially when when there's a sea of blah. So it's really about kind of looking at your color patterns, looking at the products that are around it, looking at the price points that are around it to try to say, okay, how do I draw someone in to kind of the star of my show is someone like Fishwives. You know, I need to make sure the supporting cast will support that star. Super interesting. I'm glad I asked that. That's a, that's really incredible. Okay, so we've got Expo West coming up, yep. and there are probably a lot of brands that are hoping to meet 
you there. What are good ways to get on your radar ahead of the show? I mean, as a brand, I might have been sending a direct email to you, like with a nice graphic saying, hey, here's my booth. We'll get a chance to finally meet. And then even like at the show, you're going to probably have your list of booths to go by or you're just going to wander and see what piques your interest. If brands aren't already on your list, you know, what's a good way for them to try to meet you? I always try to tell brands about kind of ways to maybe engineer a run in or a light way to try to chase you down in an aisle, but like kind of doing it gently so that it yeah. won't feel like you're being attacked. What's like the soft touch way that you see brands do a good job of making sure that they get to connect with you? couple of things for me personally, and I can't speak for my other buying colleagues, but one, I don't like appointments. So send me an email, tell me to your point, the pretty picture and the booth number. I will save that email and I will make a note of it. And I usually say politely, I won't take an appointment, but I will do my best to stop by. And the reason I don't like appointments is because I want to discover these brands. When I look at my calendar and I've got broker meetings, distributor meetings, blah, 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 blah meetings. Then I'm looking at my actual show floor time. I've got like a couple hours, right? And so years ago, I stopped that. I said, screw that. I ain't doing that anymore. I'm there to discover. I'm there to learn. This is an education. It's like education. This is school for me, right? And so I make the time to walk the floors. And so I look at that over the course of the days and I the size of the show and I make that work, right? So I'll take meetings before the show starts. I start really early to help vendor partners and brands like they want to make an appointment. And I'll take appointments after the show because it's that important to me. So I very rarely will take anything during the show. The I don't necessarily find that there's an impolite or a polite way to not to to get my attention while I'm at the show floor. I'm usually pretty open minded to it. You know, I think the one thing that I always get kind of interesting, and I'd love the CPG's point of view on it too, is this, I think sometimes they think that you're they're being overlooked on purpose. It's usually not the case. Buyers are sometimes we're on a mission, buying mission. Like we were text to say, hey, come over to booth 235 now, right? You got to see this. This is the best thing. And so we'll blow past them and they're like, hey, you know, and I'll say, I got to go. I've got to get somewhere. I'll be right back. Right. And then right back might mean a day later, but I will get back. And I think sometimes that hurts them and offends them. And don't be offended by that. Really, truly don't. Then sometimes it's kind of, if you do that mid-aisle tap and I'm engaged in something, don't be upset if I say, okay, well, thank you. And try to stop back by later or talk to you if I, if I missed you. Expo West especially is an incredibly, as you probably know, it's a hard show to work, especially those first couple of days. You're really trying to fight through a sea of a ton of different people and a ton of different interests. And buyers sometimes can get lost in that shuffle. And so a lot of times I have to wait till the last days of that show. So the one thing I also say is sometimes, you know, as a CPG brand, I know you may want to get out of there early, but, you know, sometimes as buyers, because that North Hall, we can't get through it. We may wait till the last day of that North Hall in the morning to go through it. If you're not there and I get, you know, player B or C, I'm just going to take information and I hope we connect later <laughs> kind of deal. So there's some little things that I, I've learned and I kind of do over the years with the show. Got it. Okay. So we will not ask for an appointment, but hope that you will come visit our Startup CPG dedicated section, which is on level three of ACC. We have a 25 booth set with some very cool emerging brands. I hope everybody listening will come and check it out. If you're looking at that main convention hall, you know, with the sign in front of it, it's up at the top left. So we're really excited to welcome everybody there. So Dwight, one last question for you. I actually recently saw you at an event with our friend Mike Shaw, you know, another super nice guy from legend from the industry. And I just wanted to know, he had given me some cool advice in the industry. And I was curious to hear if you have any advice for just people kind of getting into the industry now. He had told me a couple of things that I really kept with me of don't take anything personally. 
in this industry and don't burn any bridges. I mean, it is a nice long career that a lot of us are going to have. And I mean, you have already had such an epic career. Any advice for, you know, the founders getting into it now, just as they think about hopefully long and productive career? Yes. A couple of things. One, know who you are as a brand. As who you are as a brand today will probably change over time. So be flexible and nimble. Don't get too down on yourself when you don't get in place immediately, right? I think that's the one thing brands start to panic and start to question their place in the universe with, you know, Whole Foods doesn't take them in that first review, right? And yeah, sometimes maybe you don't need Whole Foods in that first review. Go get the town and countries and the Bristols and some of the smaller guys. Be cognitively aware of your channel strategy. I think it's also really important, right? So know the audience you really want to go after and, and be dedicated to them as they're dedicated to you. I think that's super, super important. And transparency on that is really important too. So if you want to sell to Targets and Walmarts, fine, just tell us that. I, I don't mind that, but don't come in and sell me that all I want to be is natural specialty and I love you guys so much. And I'm never going to leave you. And then I see you in Costco or Walmart or Target in the six months because, well, they gave me an offer I can't refuse. Be honest, be transparent. That is probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give. And then the other one I will say is don't get hung up on your packaging because you will change it. I always think about that so much so that like even right now we're developing private label internally and it's the first time we're able to do it as a company. And I tell the leadership here is like, this is version A. Like I'm already thinking about versions C and D of this packaging because I know it will change. That's the other piece of advice I tell brands is like, don't get too upset and don't get too excited about your packaging because you will change it. That is true. <laughs> I've seen that from everybody and think they don't know it the first time around, but oh, you're going to change a bunch. That's really cool to hear from you, Dwight, on the other side of it. And also sounds like you'll be understanding of it when we do change it. So yeah, thank you so much. I feel really privileged to have gotten to hear all of these great tips from you, especially just, I mean, given the incredible background that you have. And I know everybody listening will really appreciate it. You'll probably be getting a lot of LinkedIn requests pretty soon. Definitely recommend for everybody to follow Dwight on LinkedIn. He posts some really great stuff. I know you'll appreciate the content and insights that he shares there. So Dwight, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. I'm really excited to meet up with you at Expo West. And just again, thank you so much on behalf of the whole community for being so generous with your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing your section up there at Expo West. I'll put it on my to-do list first thing. All right. Perfect. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast today, it would really help us out if you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I am Daniel Scharf. I'm the host and founder of Startup CPG. Please feel free to reach out or add me on LinkedIn. If you're a potential sponsor that would like to appear on the podcast, please email partnerships at startupcpg.com. And reminder to all of you out there, we would love to have you join the community. You can sign up at our website, startupcpg.com, to learn about our webinars, events, and Slack channel. If you enjoyed today's music, you can check out my band. It's the Super Fantastics on Spotify Music. On behalf of the entire Startup CPG team, thank you so much for listening and your support. See you next time.